0: What's real life like as a big family? Oh, it's just lovely, really. Charming? Charming? I still get up at the crack of dawn. There's just so much to do. Where's your fairy godmother when you're doing laundry? Or picking up toys. I could really use the wand for that. We traded in the carriage for an SUV, much more practical with the car seats. The kids are great. They're just always so hungry. Sometimes I feel like a human food dispenser, literally. At least I've got Charming. He's such a big help and great with the kids. Although, we don't get to spend as much time together as we used to. So yes, um, family life is lovely, just lovely.
1: I'm all done!
0: Are we about through? I have things to do, and the clock is bound to strike any moment. Kid,
1: that better not be my class of <laughs> <laughs> uh, Isn't that the truth? That's just the way it is. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in the midst of a project and discovered in that project that there was another project, it revealed another project? And what I mean by that is, You were all in on the first project, but when you discovered the second project, it pushed the first project to the back burner. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This used to happen to me in college all the time. I remember when I would have like a big night of studying in front of me. I, I would get everything ready, books situated on the desk, pens and highlighters neatly arranged. I'd start a pot of coffee for a big, long night of studying. And almost without fail, I would realize in that exact moment that my apartment really needed to be cleaned and organized and so in order to create a, a, a you know a, a clutter free work environment I would get up and put things up tidy up and clean up and just as I would sit back down to study I would realize man my backpack is so cluttered I mean nobody could be expected to to really really study hard with all of the, the wrappers and stray pens floating around inside there. So I would organize and clean that up just so I, I knew that it was neat and tidy. And then I would get down to studying. But before I could really begin, it was time to go get a cup of coffee out of the coffee maker. I started because you have to be properly caffeinated if you're going to pull an all-nighter. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm just, I'm just saying. Isn't it amazing how hard it is for us as human beings, whether it's in school or at work, or at home, it is so difficult for us to prioritize as we intentionalize. It's imperative for us that we learn how to keep the main thing the main thing. Tell your neighbor right now, with Sunday morning passion and enthusiasm, keep the main thing the main thing. Now, as I said, this is true throughout all of life, but it's especially true for us in marriage man when it comes to being husband and wife it is such a monster challenge think about this a a man and a woman come together one man one woman one life and they're supposed to get married but they've got all of these relationships that were there in place before the wedding there were mom and dad, brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors and co-workers and countrymen. And now all of a sudden, those old relationships have to be reprioritized. And I think most of us in here would be able to say in the safety and the confines of a worship service that, of course, marriage is the ultimate, highest human relationship priority that we have. And yet, it can be really, really tough to maintain that priority particularly once kids show up on the scene. Would somebody help me preach? I'm just saying, sometimes it's tough to keep the marriage the main thing once the kids show up. Now, of course, yeah, I knew some men would be amen in that one. But it doesn't matter, male, female, whatever. It's a challenge for all of us because of the way especially that the parenthood journey begins. We we get this this little bundle of joy and blessing literally from God, but we come home with absolutely no manual, no instruction book, and they are so demanding. I mean, no matter how cute and cuddly you think an infant is, they are ultimately self-centered, aren't they? It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter who you are or who you're with or what's going on, if they get tired, cranky, or dirty, they're going to just start wailing to let you know that something's got to give. And so as parents, we start off on defense. We start off in what I call ISM, infant survival mode. And it's 24-7 full court press. But the key is that we return to offense as fast as humanly possible, that we remember it's our job as parents to educate these little bundles of joy and blessing and let them discover as quickly as possible that the world does not, in fact, rotate and revolve around their crib or bouncy seat. It is so important. That's one of our primary jobs as parents and as parents. One of the primary tools at our disposal to help our kids learn that is the gift of marriage. Marriage between husband and wife, mom and dad, is one of the main ways that we show our kids, that we tell our kids, that we teach our kids. They are not the center of the universe. I want everybody right now, just put that's a great thing right there. The kids are not the center of the universe. Oh, we ought to just say amen and go home right now. Get to Lubi's before the Presbyterians, it'd be great. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, it's tough. It's tough to maintain that priority. But the good news is that we don't have to just kind of wing it and hope it works out. The fact is that God has shown us throughout the Bible that... That is the proper priority, but also how to actually do it. You see, for a husband and wife to really and truly live happily ever after, we have to actually chart a course toward happily, even after the kids. <laughs> we have to know what that looks like and, and what the what the end game is supposed to be all about that's why we're doing this series happily even after because of what God wants to do in and through marriages not only marriages that are right now but marriages that will be one day as we said at the beginning last week If you're not married right now, you have a massive, massive advantage in this series over the rest of us because you have the opportunity to learn before you have to live out these principles that God has given to us, these practices and what we do in and through our lives. So if you're not married, I especially, I'm excited for you. I hope you are praying about this and writing these things down so that you're kind of incorporating and spiritually metabolizing this information for when you need it for the rest of us all of us have have messed up at some point along the way all of us have have fallen a little bit short at least of God's ideal but we have the opportunity in the grace of God in the amazing grace of Jesus to actually do the remedial work to help our marriages be everything God wants them to be today we're gonna go to a passage of Scripture that is relatively obscure. This is not one that a lot of people have memorized and made a part of their spiritual arsenal. It's in the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Now, if you're like me and you're from Texas, when you look up Malachi at the very end of the Old Testament, you're going to look at it and it's going to look like Malachi, but it's actually Malachi. And in Malachi chapter two, as you're looking that up, I want to give you a little context to understand what's going on. The book of Malachi was written about 430, 440 years before Jesus' earthly ministry. And we know that Malachi was more than likely a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah. He was a prophet that God was using to summon the nation of Israel, his chosen people, back into a right relationship with himself. Israel had a phenomenal history. We know, of course, that Israel is the chosen people of God, but we also know that Israel, like you and me, had a pretty checkered history in their relationship with God. They were had incredible highs and incredible lows, and in Malachi, we see Israel at an ebb tide in their relationship with God. God is course-correcting. He's disciplining them and bringing them back to himself, but as part of this course-correcting and this disciplining, he's explaining to them how they ended up in the state that they're in, but also how to get back into a right relationship with himself. And as part of this explanation and this course correcting, he says one of the primary things that led to your demise, one of the primary reasons that you fell so far so fast is because you so depreciated, you so devalued the institution of marriage. I think it's important to take a little time out here and just kind of note for ourselves that this principle is not unique to Israel throughout the course of human history the rise and falls uh, rise and fall of empires can trace to those events a devaluing and a depreciation of marriage anytime you see a nation or an empire falling you will find in the rubble and the ruins an incredible depreciation and devaluing of the institution of marriage something that I think could be really, really important and instructive for us in 2017 United States of America, that if we would return to a high view, to God's standards of marriage, we would go a long way toward not only having healthy, happy, and and productive homes, but toward also reinforcing and reinvigorating and restoring our culture, and our society at large. Marriage is the, the building block, if you will. It's the atomic level of a culture and a society. And so God is speaking to Israel here in Malachi chapter 2 about how we live happily even after the kids in particular. Now before I read this, I want to give you just a little bit of a heads up. This passage is strong medicine. It's like marriage itself. It is not a game for the faint of heart. But I want to encourage you and and ask you just to open your mind and open your heart. We're going to get through this together this morning. But I want to invite you to make sure that you kind of go, okay, God, what do you want me to take away from this? What do I need to learn? Maybe what perspectives or mind shift do you want me to come into so that I can understand marriage in your economy the way you designed it, the way you desire it? To be lived out. Malachi chapter 2, here's what the Bible says. It says, Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are His. And what does He want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. Wow. Can you believe that God says, I hate something? How many of us as parents have told our kids, don't ever say, I don't hate. Don't ever say, I hate Brussels sprouts. Although there are spiritual grounds for hating Brussels sprouts, we shouldn't say that. We tell our kids. Here God says, I hate divorce. Now I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes, but I think it's very important to take this this passage in context and to understand what's really going on, what's really being communicated from the heart of God. Remember that God is love. And God is good. So if he says something to us, if he issues a decree or a command, then we know it always comes from a place of love, and it always comes out of his righteousness and holiness as well as his goodness. And so it's our job to, to process through that and synthesize the truth and the grace of everything that God tells us in the Bible. But, but in this passage of Scripture, there there are three kind of action items, three practices that when we put into effect, we actually chart a course for that happily even after as husband and wife, even when we are mom and dad. First of all, God through Malachi is telling us that it's imperative for husband and wife to demonstrate the purpose of marriage, demonstrate the purpose of marriage. What did he say? Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? Isn't this a God thing that we're talking about, husband and wife? In body and spirit, you are his. So it's imperative that we understand that that this marriage thing is ultimately a God thing. And when you understand this, you see it not only in Malachi chapter 2, but you see it actually all the way from Genesis through to the end of Revelation in the book of Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Genesis, Malachi chapter 2. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? Proverbs, enjoy the wife of your youth. Ephesians chapter 5, over in the New Testament, echoes Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. But then it expands that and says not only is it about the unity of husband and wife, it's actually a Portrayal. It's a depiction of the relationship between Jesus and his church. That that husband and wife are ultimately about the unity between Jesus and the church. And that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Wives love, respect your husbands as the church loves and respects Christ. All the way through to Revelation, in the book of Revelation, it says that followers with Jesus and the end days and the end times will be invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. So this idea of marriage and unity is actually threaded throughout the entirety of Scripture. Malachi is just bringing it to a very, very fine laser point when he says, husband and wife, you demonstrate the purpose of marriage. But look at what this does for our kids. You see, the greatest gift you will ever give your children is a strong, healthy, vibrant, God-reflecting, God-honoring marriage. It's the greatest gift you'll ever give them. Now, they're going to fight it and kind of buck up against it, especially when they're little, because remember, when they they get here, they start out, just like you and I did, very self-centered. And so, if you try to prioritize anyone else above your children, man, they will play every emotional card in the deck. (laughs) Mommy, don't leave. Why do you hate me? They do that, man. and, And that's just what they do. That's okay. But we've got to be emotionally strong enough, resilient enough, and purposeful enough to let them play their little childish games while we demonstrate the purpose of marriage. It's this unity. And so it's in the union between husband and wife, the unity, that they see joy, that they see passion, that they see love, that they see forgiveness. How how many of you have ever had a fight in front of your kids? Let me just see a show of hands. Maybe not like a a bad one, but just kind of, you know, the kids can kind of tell there's a little edge in the voice. It's so funny, y'all raising your hands like this. I've got a very good friend who got into a a minor little disagreement, got on a different page with his wife, and as he was walking out the door, his three-year-old daughter, this is not me, by the way, this really is a friend, as he was walking out the door, his three-year-old daughter said, Daddy, what's wrong? And he said, Honey, Mommy's in a tizzy today. Don't worry about it. As a husband and a pastor, I want to encourage you to never do that. That's a bad idea. But it happens. But the key is, as husband and wife, as mom and dad, that we model for our kids' reconciliation. That we model for our kids' forgiveness. That, we, that if they see us disagree, they also see us make up. That they also see us forgive. That they also see grace in us and through us. You see, demonstrating the purposes of marriage is one of the primary things that we do as parents. And so, when we give our kids a healthy marriage to follow, not only do we demonstrate the purpose of marriage, but we're actually actually taking the first steps in revealing to them how God operates in relationship with us. And so, there's a, there's a lot going on when we think about happily even after the kids. When we think about demonstrating the purposes of marriage when we think about the fact that god has called us together to be united one flesh spirit mind heart and soul with our spouse but malachi not done with us malachi says not only do we demonstrate the purpose of marriage we're also before our kids especially to demonstrate the priority of marriage the priority of marriage what does he say? And what does he want? He wants godly children from your union. Now, let me quickly say this. Obviously, not every married couple wants to have children. Not every married couple does have children, but this is rather a broad brush, general statement about how God operates in rearing children in godly homes. It's not a decree for every marriage, but it is. A decree for every home that has children that when kids come into the picture they come from the union of husband and wife that, that it is following the union of man and woman that man and woman precedes everything so we're husband and wife long before prayerfully and hopefully we are mom and dad and this is this is where we put into effect what I call the law of 50 and 2. The law of 50 and 2 helps us to demonstrate the priority of marriage. The law of 50 and 2 is just this. That as husband and wife, we date our spouses. Tell your neighbor right now, whether you're married to him or not, date your spouse. Now, if you're not married to them, that's okay. You're encouraging them. The Bible says marriage should be honored by all. So we're honoring your marriage. I'm honoring my marriage. Date your spouse. And that's how you fell in love. You you dated each other. You got bathed. You brushed your teeth. You made plans. You didn't go, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. You want to go to a movie? I don't know. You want to go to dinner? I don't know. You want to stay home? That's not what happened when you were dating. Man, when you were dating, man, dude, you had a plan. You're like, hey, what if we go to the zoo? And then I'll pack a picnic lunch, and we will go sit out on the grass and watch the sunset. It'd be unbelievable. I'll bring a little Bluetooth speaker, and we'll have some music going in the background, and some sweet tea. And that's not a euphemism. I mean, sweet tea. But but so, you know, life kind of beats the dating out of marriage, doesn't it? It, it just it just <laughs> wow. That was the laugh of recognition right there. <laughs> but the law of 50 and 2 says that we date once a week. Now listen I, again. I understand you bring an infant home from the hospital that is that's survival mode. You probably won't be able to date the first week you get home. That's okay. But as fast as you can, man, you get back in the game. 50 times a year, but 2 times a year you get away together. You leave the kids. Leave them. But they cry. That's what they do. That's okay. And listen, I'm not minimizing separation anxiety. I understand that it's a real thing. My wife is a special ed major. She explained it to me. But you know what cures separation anxiety? Separation. Some people tell me, well, we don't want to leave our kids in the nursery at church because they cry. That's where they learn. You'll be back. Your dog doesn't know you'll be back, but your kids will figure it out. <laughs> Leave them, mommy. Don't go. Don't go. Man, I remember when Julie and I first started dating after we had moved to Austin. Emily was three. Joseph was one year old. We would we would try to go out on a date, and I mean, it was like they they had the death grip on Julie's you know jeans. Like, mommy, don't go. They were fine if I left. <laughs> And we'd get in the car, and, and Julie was so, you know, just worked up. It, it pains a mother physically for her child to be upset, and I, I respect that's part of the mom's magic. I get it. They need us to leave. They need that, and I promise you we do. <laughs> so the law of 50 and 2, and right now somebody, of you are, well, we, we just can't afford that. We, we, we can't do it, no. Have you priced the fee for marriage counselors and therapists lately? It's a minimum 150 an hour. Do you know how good a time you can have in Austin, Texas, on 150 bucks? And after somebody. So I'm just saying, dating's a lot more fun than therapy. You ought to write that down. That's really profound. <laughs> And you don't have to spend a lot of money. As a matter of fact, be creative. Try to challenge yourself to spend as little money as possible. Sometimes Julie and I have loaded up peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and, and driven out to watch the sunset somewhere. It's, a, it's awesome. It's great. We've been to incredible hotels across the country, and we've been to little bed and breakfasts you know, within an hour of home, but we left the house. How many of you are coffee drinkers? Let me see a show of hands. I... I'm I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm going to tell you straight up. I am a coffee snob. And I make no apologies for it. I love great coffee. I'm not playing around. One of the best coffees I've ever had in my life is at a place in Miami at Mary's Coin and Laundry. It's unbelievable. They make this little Cuban coffee, a little cafe con leche that will make you slap your mama. It is unbelievable. It's like extra leaded espresso with milk poured in it, and then this Cuban sugar that they put in there, and it's only about this big. You'll stay awake for three days. <laughs> but here's the amazing thing about a cafe con leche from Mary's Coin Laundry. Every single time I finished it, there, there's a residue left inside the cup. There, there's res- I'm not. It's not like like hotel coffee. You know when you go to a hotel room and they. It's watered down you're like I, 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 I think there's a hint of coffee in there yeah i can taste that and then, but you pour it out you know in the toilet because you want to take two sips and it wasn't any good and then it's just gone nothing's like you use that cup again but with cafe con leche from mary's coin and laundry that residue inside the cup There's that residue. The law of 50 and 2 gives us a similar residue. There's a a punch of caffeine, there's a punch of of sweetness and residue left in the relationship and the marriage after you've gotten away together that will carry you and propel you for weeks. If you do it. If you do it. I mean, travel. I mean, if you if you actually that was funny. Some of you will get that at lunch, but I'm just telling you, that was funny. If, if, if you put it into practice, that residue of the law of 50 and 2, it's what propels, it, it, it fuels a marriage. And you, you can come back to the chaos. You, you can come back to, to toddlerhood or, or middle school, high school, whatever's going on. But when you get away together, you, you're reminding yourselves, oh, yeah, we, I remember now i used to like you i remember we're not just we're not just co-parents we're not just professional nanny service that that happens to live under the same roof we actually love each other we are actually in love And, and you demonstrate that priority especially for the kids to yourself but especially for the kids here's why a secure marriage is such a gift to kids it's through a secure marriage that children discover this home is safe. This, this is a safe place. I'm secure here beginning with the way mom and dad love each other. And if they love each other, then, then this is a safe place for me. I, I'm going to enjoy being here. So we demonstrate the priority. But Malachi wasn't through. Not only do we demonstrate the purpose, not only do we demonstrate the priority of marriage, we also demonstrate the permanence of marriage. We demonstrate the permanence of marriage. Now, I know all of the statistics about marriage in modern America. I am a statistic of of marriage in modern America. My parents divorced when I was 12 years old. But again, remember, we're talking about what God calls us to. We're talking about what the gospel empowers us for. We're talking about the goal. And this is where Malachi says, So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord. I hate it. I don't hate people who divorce. I hate divorce. I think we could all get behind that. I've never talked to anybody who said, man, divorce is awesome. It's just, it's so much fun when our friends split up and we had to pick sides. It was so much fun. when We went on vacation that summer. <laughs> Nobody thinks divorce is fun. Nobody thinks it's a good idea. But for us who, who go by the name Christ follower, we ought to Follow God and and echo that and say, you know what? I hate divorce too. I hate it so much as as a husband, as a wife. I'm taking it off the table. Now, God in his grace allows exceptions. Jesus said, Jesus said in grace and in truth that divorce is never God's ideal. But in the case of adultery, if your spouse cheats on you, You're exempt from the commitment. You're exempt from the bonds of covenant marriage. Now, you can reconcile. You can forgive and heal and restore the marriage. You can do that work, but you're not required to at that point. Or if your spouse abandons you, if your spouse just bolts and says, you know what, sorry, made a mistake, didn't work out, bye-bye, then you're not bound to the marriage vows because that spouse broke them. Or if the divorce happens before you are a believer. Remember, in Christ, all things are made new. So so God makes allowances for divorce, but it's never his ideal. And, And he always hates it, because remember what marriage is. A man and a woman come together, becoming one flesh. And in that one flesh, there's that union, which is why Jesus said, let no man tear asunder what god has put together there's that tearing it's that tearing of of flesh spiritually emotionally relationally and god knows what that does to us god knows what that costs us personally he knows what it does to children and so that's why god says i hate that so guard your heart If you feel yourself drifting away from your spouse, if you feel yourself on separate pages for an extended period of time, do the work to get back on the same page. Do what is necessary to enjoy the wife of your youth again, to enjoy the husband of your youth again. Don't let that drift drift on. Demonstrate the permanence of marriage. I remember when Emily and Joseph were very young and they got into school, and as it happens, friends of theirs, parents, were getting divorced. And, and I remember them asking Julie and me, are y'all ever going to get a divorce? And in that moment, you've got to, that's a critical moment for a parent. I remember my mom and dad, who did divorce, telling us it would never happen. But Julie and I felt a, a commitment to Emily and Joseph to tell them the truth, but also to tell them our heart. And so we told them, mom and dad aren't doing that. Now, we could choose to, but we will not. We will it's a it's a choice of the will. Let me tell you what's not an acceptable answer for divorce. It just didn't work out. We just we just drifted apart. Really? You just would you let me ask you if you own a business? Would you just let it kind of drift into the toilet? Well, you know, we just had a couple of bad years, and it just kind of just didn't work out. Man, you would bust your head wide open to save a business. You do the same thing for a marriage. You do the work. You go get counseling. You talk to somebody. You find somebody who honors marriage and who will help you do what is necessary, not only to save it, but to repair it and to restore it. And make it thrive alive again you demonstrate the permanence of it because ultimately marriage ain't about us it's about God Almighty and he just allows us to enjoy the benefits and the blessings and the responsibilities of it I want you to notice something we're almost done that's not what I want you to notice But I want you to notice that in this sermon about happily even after the kids, we haven't really talked about the kids that much. It ain't about them. Julie told me one time when her sister Katie was about eight or nine years old, she crawled up into her dad's lap and she kind of cuddled up with him. And she said, Daddy, who do you love most in the whole world? And my father-in-law, Joe, didn't even skip a beat. He said, Katie, the person I love most in the whole wide world is your mama. Katie just started to cry. Just tears just welled up. in her Because she knew dad was going to tell her her. But what a gift Joe and Kathy gave to Katie and Emily and Julie. What a gift to let them know that the priority in that household was the marriage. And because the marriage was strong, the household was strong and safe and secure. And it was in that context that they knew they were safe and strong and secure. This is what God desires. This is what God designed for marriage. That children ride in the relational back seat. That the kids understand mom and dad were husband and wife long before we got here. And anything we can do to help that is going to help all of us. Because you see, God created, God ordained marriage to be the highest human relational priority we have. So that we would understand him better. Because remember, God's relational. Whatever you want to believe about God, know that God is relational. He is love. He was relational before he ever created human beings. There was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one and one in three. The Trinity. He is relational unto himself. And relationship is what he created us for. Marriage is an incredible gift, an incredible blessing and responsibility, but it's ultimately all about relationship with God. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And as you do, I want to ask you to to take a, a leap with me for just a moment. As we've talked about marriage The leap that I invite you to take is to consider your own relationship with God. Have you responded to God's grace initiative? We know that marriage is all about the gospel. Well, the gospel... The good news of Jesus is that God so loved you. He so loved me that he gave his only son Jesus. Jesus who became our sin. He he took our sin on himself and as a consequence of that he died in our place. That's the cross. Because sin always leads to death. Because it always leads away from the God who authors life. The God who sustains life. But then Jesus did what we couldn't have done for ourselves when he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He subdued sin so that whoever believes in him As Savior, as Lord, would never die, but would have eternal life. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, we invite you to do it right now. Just right where you're sitting. Just pray a prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment. Silently in your own words, just pray something like this. Just say... God, I need you. Jesus, I give you my life. I confess my sin. I claim your forgiveness. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. If that's your prayer this morning, as we remain for just another moment in a spirit of prayer, of reverence. If that's your prayer and you meant it, then this is the greatest day of your life. And I want to invite you to mark the greatest day moment of your life in a couple of ways. Number one, I want you to know that we want to help. We want to come alongside as a, as a family of faith and grow with you in this relationship with God. And if you would, just, just let us know that God did that in your life and you responded by filling out the Connect card that's in your program. Just right now, just, just take it and fill it out. Indicate there I'm committing my life to Christ this week. And then tear it off at the perforation and just briefly hand that card to one of our ushers or out underneath the blue tent, the awning out underneath the front door as you go out. But then second of all, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if that was your prayer, would you just quietly but unmistakably raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment as you mark this moment in your life, but also... You mark it in the life of this church. Because for us, there is nothing more important. It's not more important than, this is more important than marriage. It's more important than parenting. It's more important than who wins the Super Bowl. It's more important than anything. And so we mark that. We celebrate that with you. As you put your hands down, we put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.